One of the greatest challenges for any gospel preacher is to be relevant. That is to address the needs of those people to whom he speaks. And when you start talking about relevance, many times people think that we are answering questions which no one is asking. The second thing that a gospel preacher must do is to call for a response. That is, based upon what he has preached, it should bring about an attitude or a response in the listener to say, either number one, I need to change my ways. I need to be a different person than who I am. Or it ought to produce within us a resolve to say, I'm going to continue to be faithful to God. I'm going to serve Him from now on. As a person begins to try to survey about what to preach, I believe the prophets provide for us a great message and a great motivation. The message that they deliver is, here's God's will. The motivation that they provide is the fact that if you do God's will, you will receive the blessings. If you spurn God's will, you will suffer the consequences. As we begin, I want to introduce our second lesson by asking you a question, which I'm assuming practically everyone here has had this, but I want you to think, have you ever been given a lecture? Has someone ever rebuked you, gotten on to you? And then you realize, I deserved every word of that. Maybe it was your first job. Maybe as you were going about doing what you thought you were supposed to be doing, you didn't do a very good job. And someone had to come along and explain to you, you've messed up. And here is where you went wrong. I'd suggest to you, as you read the book of Micah, that is very much present. As he is looking to give the people particularly in chapters 1 through 3, here is where you have gone wrong. But after you have received that lecture, the person who also rebuked you turned around and gave you some hope for your future to try to tell you you've got such potential, you have some great expectations in your future. I want you to listen to first or Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you would do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. Now, folks, for just a moment, I want you to just ponder with me the significance of what Peter said. He said, it's almost like it's nighttime, it's dark. And then here comes a light shining in a dark place. It's early in the morning and that morning sun comes shining through and the dark begins to become apparent. And then all of a sudden the day star, the morning star arises. But he's not talking about physically, he's talking about spiritually in our hearts. The prophetic word says there's great potential in your future. Whether he was speaking to the northern kingdom of Israel or whether he was speaking to the children of Judah. 
There's great possibilities for you. Now, there were three major messages that we're going to consider in the book of Micah. The first one, chapters 1 through 3, was the retribution. You got what you deserved. This is what you have done wrong. That's the rebuke, if you will. Then, as we will study this morning, the restoration, chapters 4 and 5, where you have the positive message that comes out that there's a great expectation for your future. And then finally, Lord willing, next Sunday morning, we're going to talk about repentance. The goodness of God leads us to repentance. But this morning, I want to talk about three things. And if you keep your Bibles open there, here's what we're going to discuss. We're going to look at the promised kingdom. Brother Mike read to us just a few moments ago from chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, and you see the picture of this promised kingdom. And then after that, he's going to talk about some present concerns. In the meantime, while you're waiting on that happen, there's going to be something that has to take place. And then finally, the prospective king, the great ruler of this kingdom that he has promised. So let's begin. Let's look at chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8. And uh, I think it's valuable to read this section. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be exalted above the hills. Excuse me, just a second there. So the, I've got a message come up saying we're going to lose our power. So uh, don't want to do that. And it says, and people shall flow to it. And shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow to it. Many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion the law shall go forth, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between peoples, many peoples, and rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. But everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree. And no one shall make them afraid for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all people walk each in the name of his God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, says the Lord, I will assemble the lame, will gather the outcast and those whom I have afflicted, and I will make the lame a remnant and the outcast a strong nation. So the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from now on, even forever. And you, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, to you it shall come, even the former dominion shall come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. Folks, the Lord here is talking about, through the prophet Micah, about his kingdom. They're full of prophetic imagery. 
In other words, there's figures being used here that are familiar throughout all of the prophets. I just want to refer to a couple of them and as we begin to consider this. The first one he's going to talk about is the latter days or the last days. And you can find that phrase appearing several times, particularly through the Old Testament. And then when you come to the New Testament, you can find it. And it's always a time of the culmination of a planned event. God has foreseen some great event taking place. And when you're looking from the Old Testament forward, the last days refers to the time of the church. It refers to the time of the New Testament. It refers to the time of the Christ. Let me illustrate that to you. In Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching a sermon. And they have just received the Holy Spirit. They have spoken in tongues. And people are amazed by their ability. And Peter goes back and he says, But this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it shall come into pass the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Peter said, this is what Joel was talking about. The miraculous gifts. So that means it is the last days. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. God who at various times and in various ways spoke in the past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken unto us by His Son. You see, He's drawing a line of distinction, if you will. These are the last days. Now, I know there's a lot of millennials, and I'm not talking about those born in a certain period of time, but I'm talking about those who believe in the millennial reign of Jesus, who think the last days refers to right before the Lord comes and His second coming. But it's obvious from these two verses that it's now in the Christian age. So Micah, just like Isaiah in chapter 2, verses 1 and following, is looking forward to the coming of the church age. But the second thing, he says, that the mountain of the Lord's house, the mountain of the Lord's house, do you realize that in Jerusalem there is a mount that is the higher one? That's called Mount Moriah. That's where Abraham went when he was going to sacrifice Isaac. Do you realize that is also where the tabernacle and then the the temple was built? That was the place that God had designated. That's where the temple was a figure. And that's a New Testament figure as well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. He says, do you not know that you are the temple of God? Verse 17, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. Or you go to Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 22, and he talks about the household of God. And then he talks about it being like a building in verse 21. And he says in verse 22, In whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So the mountain of the Lord's house, 
the temple area. He said that's going to be exalted above the hills. In fact, it's going to be above the top of the mountains. It's going to take a place of prominence. I could spend a lot of time in the prophets talking about this. I'm just going to refer to a few books, passages in the book of Daniel. Daniel 2, 44. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. You go to chapter 7 and verse 14. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one which shall not be destroyed. Chapter 7, verses 18 and 27. The saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and forever. Verse 27, the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms of under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom. You see, I'm just giving you four short verses from Daniel that talk about the prominence, the position of it. But then he says, all people shall flow or all nations shall flow into it. Because you you have to remember the kingdom of God in the Old Testament was the Jewish people. One race of people, one nation of people. But the picture of this new kingdom is it's one that all these are going to flow into it. Revelation chapter 5 verse 9. You were slain and have redeemed to us, us to God, by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You see the picture that Micah is giving is one that is not provincial. It's not of one small group of people, not of one pedigree, but it's a wonderful kingdom that embraces all. When we come, He will teach us His ways. When I go to the New Testament, to Jesus in John chapter 6, verse 45, it is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Where will this begin? He said, Out of Zion shall the law go forth and from Jerusalem. And when I come to the New Testament, Luke 24, verse 47, that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in His name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And then in Acts 1 and verse 8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see all these aspects that are part of it. But now you come to the next thought in this section, and that is it will be a peaceable kingdom. They're going to beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not learn war anymore. Nation will not rise up against nation. The kingdom that Micah sees, that Isaiah saw, was a peaceable kingdom. 
You know, in the history of this world, there's some people who have not grasped that idea. There was times when there was armed conflict between those who claimed Christianity and those who embraced other religions. That we will somehow fight for the submission of this world. Folks, the Lord's church is not an angry, violent nation of people. Let me prove this to you. You go to Isaiah 9 and verse 6. And Isaiah describes our king by saying, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You see, he's not like the other warring leaders. When Pilate had Jesus before him and was examining him, are you a king? Jesus' response is classic in John 18, verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Jesus didn't tell Peter to take up the sword and let's fight our way out of this. No, that wasn't God's plan. John 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your heart be not troubled, neither let it be afraid. And in chapter 16, verse 33, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus said, you can win, you can have peace. And I will show you how. Those of us who are part of this kingdom have to recognize our part in promoting this peace. Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Romans 14, 19, let us pursue things which make for peace and things whereby we may edify one another. You work for it. Colossians 3, verse 15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were also called in one body and be thankful. The last thing that you see in that promised kingdom is the fact that the lame, the outcast, and the afflicted are raised to a position of being accepted. You see, people that once were no longer valued are now valued. And he talks about the lame being made a remnant. He talks about the outcast being brought back. Matthew 11, verses 2 through 6, John the Baptist was in prison and he was worried about, have I done the right thing? Have I gone the right direction? Is Jesus the one that I should expect to be the Messiah? And they sent word to Jesus in verse 3, are you the coming one or do we look for another? And Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things which you see, hear and see, 
that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended in me. The message was, is Jesus cares about everybody. And in the Lord's kingdom, we don't look at those who are the outcasts, those who are the lame, those who are the afflicted, and say they're not worthy. They are worthy. Because the Lord died for every man. What a great kingdom is promised. But now when you get to chapter 4, verse 9, to chapter 5, verse 1, in the meanwhile, you know, that's promised. That's in that day. That's the latter days. He says, now why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in your midst? Has your counselor perished? For pangs have seized you like a woman in labor. Now pause for me just a moment. He's asking a question. Are you people not ready? And he uses the figure of a woman about ready to give birth. And everyone who has been present when a woman goes into labor knows the extreme pain that she endures during that time. Well, if you look at verse 10, be in pain and bring forth, or labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in birth pains, for now you shall go forth from this city. You shall dwell in the field, and to Babylon you shall go. You see, he's saying there's a present concern. You've got to worry about that. And I'm not going to go ahead and read all the way through 5 and verse 1, but I want you to notice that key word now. Before the great things come, they have to face some trouble. Lest I forget when I get toward the end of the lesson. Do you remember what I said at the beginning? Have you ever been rebuked by someone and told you didn't do what was right? Here's where you made your mistake. But I want you to know I've got great uh, expectations of you. I've got, you've got such potential, such promise. But right now, you've got to clean up your problems. You've got to deal with the present. That's exactly what he's saying to them here. To Babylon you must go. This was spoken a hundred years before they went into captivity. They did not know the thoughts of the Lord nor understand his counsel. You see, when he was describing the Babylonians, the Babylonians didn't know they were cooperating with God. The Israelites didn't recognize the value of that present punishment, but it brought forth a people ready to meet God, which leads me to chapter 5 now. And I want you to notice chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 2 through 4 to begin with. And this perspective king. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall one come forth, the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. Therefore he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of his people shall return to the children of Israel, and he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God, and they shall abide. From now he shall be 
great to the ends of the earth. Now, uh, Bethlehem. I think you probably know where this is going. Here's a little small village. Today it's a pretty good sized town. It's about five miles south of Jerusalem. And he describes that it's one small village among the thousands of Judah. But there's something special about Bethlehem. Oh, sure, it was the place of Rachel's burial. Genesis 35, verse 19 said she was buried on the way to Ephrathah, which is Bethlehem. But this little town was the birthplace of the king, the Messiah. And you say, well, how how can you be sure that's what he was talking about? Matthew chapter 2. If you go to Matthew chapter 2, and again, I'm not going to read this verbatim, but I want you to remember that the wise men came from the east. They came to Jerusalem. You can see that in verse 1. They had seen the star in the east and they came to Jerusalem. They were looking for Jesus. Herod also recognizing that these special men came looking for this promised Messiah. Wanted to know where to find him. So verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ is to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written in the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd his people Israel. But you see, he's not just any shepherd. He's not just any ruler. What makes him exceptional, his goings forth are from eternity. Now folks, look at yourself. You're not eternal. You say, well, the Bible teaches that the soul will never die. That's true. You will have no end. But you had a beginning. The Bible teaches that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit had no beginning. When I go to John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing that was made was made. You see, Jesus is the one whose goings forth are from old. It says that he is going to feed his flock. He's going to be a ruler who is going to shepherd his people. And in John chapter 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and am known by my own. But now the final section here is verses 9 through 15. And this prospective new king, he's going to cut off the real problems 
You know, you would think that here's a king and he's going to come and he's going to cut off this nation, he's going to cut off that nation, and he's going to lead his people into prominence. But in reality, here's what he's going to do. He's going to cut off the problems within his people. He's going to talk about things in which they place their trust like military might. He's going to talk about the mysticism, about the sorcerers, and he's going to talk about those mediums and wizards. And then he's going to talk about other things like idolatry, the carved images. I've underlined the words that are significant here, not all of them, but most of them. Your hand shall be lifted against your adversaries, and all your enemies shall be cut off. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that I will cut off your horses from your midst and destroy your chariots, cut off your cities of your land and throw down your strongholds. I will cut off sorceries from your hand and you shall have no soothsayers. Your carved images I will also cut off and your sacred pillars from your midst. You shall have no more, you shall no more worship the work of your hands. I will pluck your wooden images from your midst. I will destroy your cities. I will execute vengeance in anger and fury on the nations that have not heard. Here's what Jesus did when Jesus came. Jesus preached a message that said, if there's sin in your life, you've got to cut it off. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. You see, this perspective king leads to have a purified people. Now, let's try to bring it all together. Let's let's try to make the application for us today. I know if I were listening to the words of Micah in chapters 1 through 3, I would be discouraged I would listen and I would hear him say, you have sinned in your political realm, you've sinned in your social realm, you have sinned in your religious realm, and as such you deserve punishment. Last week I tried to make those apply to our current situation as well. But when you get to chapter verses or chapters four and five, the, the message changes. God says, I can see some potential in you in spite of who you are. Does God see potential in you and in me despite my background and despite the mistakes I've made? Romans chapter 5 says, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man would someone even dare to die. But God demonstrates His love, own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Folks, if I can communicate one message to you in this lesson is God loves you just like He loved the children of Israel and held out a promise for them. The coming king and the coming kingdom was the church. And there's so much to appreciate about that. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. He says, Of this salvation, the prophets 
have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand of the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. You see, those eyes back there in Micah chapter 4 and 5 was looking to today, those of us who live in the, the last time. And it's within the church and it's within Christ where all these glories are to be found. For them, that great day of expectation was when Jesus Christ would come. His first coming. For us today, our great expectation, our great hope is when the Lord comes again. I like the way the Hebrew writer put it in chapter 9, verses 27 and 28. And as it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Let me ask you, are you eagerly waiting for this? Look at those people in Micah's day. Oh, what they were suffering. There was going to be a a present concern of Babylon. But in the future, here comes the Lord. What a blessing that was going to be. When the Lord comes again, will that be a blessing to you? Will that be something that you're seeking for? If you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. God loves you. God wants to save you. And you can respond to his love by believing in Jesus the Christ, repenting of those sins that you've committed, confessing before men that you believe that he is the Christ and then being baptized for the remission of your sins. That puts you in the church that great kingdom about which Micah spoke. If you are a Christian, you're looking at your life and you're saying, I'm not walking with the Lord. You're missing some great blessings and you don't have a wonderful hope for the future. Would you come while together we stand and sing?